my summer layer. As always, I'm your host, Sammy Yunan, and I've got two confessions. This is how we're starting, confessions. All right, confession number one. This is going to be another magic episode. I've done a handful of these magic episodes. I keep returning to magic because there's something like I'm trying to express. There's something I'm trying to express, something heartfelt. I want you to understand about how I feel about magic. I just, I can't find, I just haven't found the, the exact words or the illuminating metaphor. However, I've gotten closer with this interview with sports journalist Joe Posnanski. Joe is primarily a baseball writer. His latest book and the topic of our conversation is The Life and Afterlife, yo, The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini. It is his first non-baseball slash sports book. Which brings us to confession number two. I'm not a baseball fan, though I am a fan of the movie Moneyball. It's a magnificent movie based on a magnificent book by Michael Lewis. I highly recommend both of them. In Moneyball, the movie, there's a scene where Brad Pitt is talking to Jonah Hill. And what Brad Pitt says to Jonah Hill in this baseball movie is incredibly reminiscent of Harry Houdini. Brad Pitt, as the GM of the Oakland A's, has decided to radically change his approach to how a baseball team is constructed. His new method is so radical, it is upsetting to, of course, as always, the establishment. You can already see parallels between Brad Pitt and Harry Houdini, which is a sentence I don't think you hear that often, <laughs> but we do here. And in that scene with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, Pitt says, I don't think we're asking the right question. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? It's a gut check. Pitt saying to Hill, do you believe in this radical approach? Hill does. So Brad Pitt then goes on to add this incredible line, which is where Harry Houdini factors in. Pitt says, it's a problem. You think we need to explain ourselves. Don't. To anyone. And that right there, that's Harry Houdini. It's a problem. You think we need to explain ourselves. Don't. To anyone. Harry Houdini. Look, if you stuck with me knowing this is going to be a magic episode, I've already named dropped Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and Harry Dini. What's more amazing, this interview opens with an even bigger name, Muhammad Ali. And what happened when Joe had a chance to talk to the greatest about magic? Muhammad Ali and magic. Yo, I know. Here's my conversation with Joe Posnanski, a sports writer and baseball enthusiast who can be summed up with another deft Moneyball quote. How could you not be romantic about baseball? Hello? Hi, Joe. This is Sammy. We have an interview for uh, Harry Houdini. Yes. Is this a good time? It is a good time. Okay, good. Uh, I know because as a sports writer, there's been a lot of <laughs> sports ruckus uh, the last 24 hours or so. With yes, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's moving very fast. And so did you also know that your book is in the uh, Art Gallery of Ontario, the AGO, during their um, exhibition called Illusions, the Art of Magic? Oh, that's cool. I yeah. didn't know that. It's in the gift shop. So once you go through it, it's, a, um, it's about 55 lithographs, posters. 
of a lot of the classic magicians, including, of course, Harry Houdini. As well, there's a little section there of, like, uh, Harry Houdini's straitjacket, uh, some of the handcuffs, kind of those uh, magic props, I guess, or magic uh, elements that Harry Houdini used in his uh, act. And at the end of it, there's a gift shop, and then you can go buy uh, your book, The Life and Afterlife of, of Harry Houdini. So that's pretty cool. Wow. That's really cool. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into the book. Uh, towards the end of the book, you have a really cool moment where Muhammad Ali does a magic trick with you. Yes. What is that experience like? Can you just describe that scene a little bit, like Muhammad Ali doing magic with you? That's a, like got to be a really cool moment. Oh, it was. It was. It was an absolutely incredible thing. Uh, it, it actually happened more than once, but there's there's one time that I remember specifically. They were opening his museum in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. They had just finished building it, and this was the opening, and I was there to, to write about it and met him before, but, but uh, you know, everybody, every sports writer at some point uh, got to meet Muhammad Ali, so it was it was really a cool thing, and so we were, we were there, and he wasn't really talking, you know? I mean, this is, this is during you know, that, that time when, when he really, you know, actually most of his post-fight career, he didn't really talk very much. But he was still wandering around and sort of engaging with people. And he saw me, and he came over to me, and he kind of put his his hand on my shoulder. And, of course, you know, I said hello to him. And then he kind of pointed at his hand, and he had a, a handkerchief in his hand. And then he, he brought around his left hand and he tucked the handkerchief into his palm. And then, of course, opened up his palm and the handkerchief was gone. Magic. Yeah, magic, right. I mean, <laughs> pretty much the, <laughs> the classic uh, that I think every father has probably tried at some <laughs> point with their, with their kids. And, of course, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that was great. And then he stopped me because I, I, you know, I thought that was pretty much the end. But then he stopped me and he kind of put his hand back on my on my shoulder, and and then he showed me that he had had a fake thumb on, and mm -hmm. that he had just tucked it into the fake thumb, and it it was such a striking moment for me because because that was his belief, like his belief was that you don't um, that you don't lie to people and that you don't deceive people and that you don't pretend to have powers that you know this was part of his religious belief and of course it's it goes quite contrary to the sort of ethics of magic right where you never explain the trick and so i was really just super taken by you know this i mean there was like a sort of a kindness to him like you know hey i just wanted to <laughs> tell you you know i wasn't trying to deceive you or lie to you which of course you know it's it's it, it's it's really really funny that 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 you know Muhammad Ali would have thought that the handkerchief and the palm trick is is, is deceiving somebody yes. or whatever. But um, he wanted to show you the sweet science. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And you know to to have obviously you know maybe the greatest athlete of the 20th century yeah. and, and and you know someone who is so representative of of so many things. But he he just he really truly loved magic. It was it was one of his you know one of his real passions in life, and and uh, for him to share that to me uh, was really really cool. And then later I I saw him at a different event, and he did the same thing. 
for me, and which was really fun. But but the first time, it it was you know very very special. So Ali, of course, is considered like you just said the greatest, and similarly Houdini is considered the greatest. Are there similarities between them in terms of their approach, their the way that they work, the hustle, all those kind of things? Yeah, it's a very 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 good comparison. Yes, there's a, there are a lot of similarities, and I think that the the biggest similarity is is that they were both incredible showmen. I mean, they they both transcended the world that they were in and and brought people to that world that that would not normally be, you know, interested. I mean, obviously Ali is a boxer. There there are many many boxing fans and all that, but but Ali because of his style, because of his sort of bravado, and because of the way he stood against the the, uh, the Vietnam War and, and so many other things like that, he he became probably the world's most famous man. I mean, that was his, you know, he used to say that, that, that he could probably, not probably, he said he could definitely, he could go to any place in the world and knock on any door and they would know him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's almost certainly true that, that he was the world's most famous man. And, and Houdini was, was the same. I mean, it was much harder to be that kind of famous in Houdini's time, right? Because this is long before television and long before even radio and movies uh, were just sort of getting started. And so it was a very, very different time. And yet, through sheer showmanship, through sheer ambition, uh, by just traveling the world the way that he did, I would make a strong argument that Houdini became the most famous man in the world during his time. I mean, certainly more famous in more countries than than I think anyone else. And and I think that they both did it, you know, that same way, that they brought so many people to their world and their craft uh, who, who might not necessarily have, have been interested, but they, they were interested because of the power of their personality. But with Houdini, though, his fame didn't just end uh, when he died. We, are st- you and I, are still talking about him in 2020. You just wrote a book <laughs> about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it, that's an incredible yeah. thing as well. Like when you consider all the people that have been like, uh, he died it was 1926, I think it was, right? So 1926, that's right. Yeah. So it's incredible that from like 1926 till now, there's a shorthand. Like if you just say Houdini, like I Houdini'd out of something. It's incredible that he's even oh, affected our language. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and Ali is a great example. Will Muhammad Ali be world famous in 100 years? I mean, it's, it's not super likely that he will. I mean, he, people might know him the way that you know of certain people in the past. But exactly as you say, I mean, Houdini, I, I, you know, I tell this that it's, it's 100% true. When I first started writing the book when I first you know and even before I started the actual writing it was just doing the research mm-hmm. I set up a, a Google news alert so that every time Houdini's name was mentioned <laughs> I would get an alert yeah you know like a daily alert for all the times that Houdini was mentioned in newspapers or magazines and uh, whatever the case may be online and uh, and I still have that alert going and this was probably more than three years ago, four years ago, probably, I've gotten an alert every single day. There's literally not been a single day that Easy. I have not gotten an alert. There's not been a single day that 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 uh, Harry Houdini's name is not mentioned somewhere in some form. And and you know, like you say, so much of it is not specific 
to Houdini's life. It's it's usually uh, a politician who gets out of a, a jam, and they say that you know pulled a Houdini or mm-hmm. or a, a an athlete uh, or a team coming back from from a uh, you know a big deficit and coming back and yeah. winning, and so they pulled a Houdini, right? So it's he is still. I mean, I think there's a real argument to make. He's still the most popular magician in the world, and and that he is of his time, of the people, you know, in in the early 20th century for sure. And, and but I think you could go even more than that. I think he's he's far and away not only the most famous person of that time, but probably the only person of of that time that. Everybody knows mm-hmm. everybody, whether it's a kid, you know, you, it, it amazes me that you can walk into a second grade classroom uh, anywhere, yeah. really in the world, but yeah. certainly in North America, you know, anywhere and say Harry Houdini and they know exactly who you're talking about. I mean, that is that is astonishing. And, and it's undoubtedly mm-hmm. uh, would make him very happy because nothing nothing made Houdini uh, happier than fame. Yeah. Is that one of the reasons why you call the book the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini? Because he's had this incredible afterlife. Like as in terms of like a ghost, he's haunted us for decades. (laughs) That's exactly why I called it that. I mean, the the book, the book really comes from this idea of why we still care, Mm -hmm. why he still matters in the world today. Why so many people are are influenced by him? I mean, the book is filled with all of these magicians and historians and and just just fans who who whose lives are still very much impacted by by Harry Houdini and and I was I was fascinated by this idea. You know, as a sports writer, which is what I normally do, you know, you, you realize how fleeting fame is. You know, somebody's famous for a period of time and then and then people move on and there are very very few that that survive one generation two generations three generations whatever it might be and mm-hmm. here's a guy who who still is so much in the daily conversation and i i just was i was just utterly fascinated and, and wanted to know why and, and and that's really what led to writing the book when you talk about like surviving different generations, one recent example is Michael Jordan and the effect and the hold that he's had. Uh, I find that a lot of people still are really like reverent uh, with Michael Jordan. Very much so. Very much so. But of course, Michael Jordan is not is not that long ago, right? right. Michael Jordan is in the nineties. I mean, it's still twenty five years. But mm-hmm. but I, you know, it's he's he's in a lot of ways a great example. You know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. The uh, yeah, he owns the NBA team here mm-hmm. and and certainly is enormously famous. I mean, he's, you know, he's still Michael Jordan and there are many, many people who will swear for, you know, for the rest of their lives that he was the greatest player who ever lived and mm-hmm. and and that's all, you know, that's all great. Like if you have kids who their favorite basketball player is, they're not going to say Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to say LeBron James or they're going to say Steph Curry or they're going to say uh the Greek freak or they're going to, you know, they're going to they're going to say, you know, Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to say somebody else, not because there's any knock on Jordan, but just time has moved on. And yet, if you ask lots of kids who their favorite favorite magician is, they might say Harry Houdini. I mean, that's not to knock David Copperfield and yeah. David Blaine and so many other of the great magicians, but but 
Houdini has like taken on a whole different life, and 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 I think that's uh, it's really unique. It's really unique. In terms of the book, is this also connected to your interest and your exploration of wonder? Because this is all connected. Like, how are you defining wonder when it comes to magic and Harry Houdini? Yeah, it's 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 great. You know, for me, wonder crosses so many boundaries. You know, again, as a sports writer, I think about the wonder of seeing an athlete in form and full form, you know, going to the Olympics and watching Usain Bolt run the hundred. I mean, it's, it, it just inspires this feeling in you that, that is, that is almost indescribable. And, and, and you just are awed by what you've seen, you know, in the case of magic, I mean, I think magic is, is, you know, and this is something that I talk to many magicians about that, that, you know, that I wrote about in the book because it's so, it's so powerful to me. But it is that feeling that you're trying to like create like a little explosion in your mind, right? They're they're trying to to make you see something that is impossible, and and you know, and there are some people that are like, you know, they want to figure it out, what what happened, how. Mm. But there are so many other people, and I, I really include myself as one of these people who who just wants to experience that feeling, you know, that feeling of watching somebody make a tart appear or, or, you know, make a car appear or, or do these things that are just so, so mind blowing. Uh, and they could be little uh, things, you know, I'm a big fan of card magic and, and close up magic. It could be something very, very small, but it can also be, you know, this big Vegas show too. Uh, as long as it's something that captures your mind. And I think, I think to me, what, what wonder represents is that, feeling that sort of stretches the world a little bit and you you look around uh and it feels it feels like something that you've never never thought about you've never thought was possible it it takes your mind to like a a different place and a different plane and and uh uh you know i think magic does that really about as well as i mean i think all or for all art forms take you there to some degree but i think magic takes you there in a in a way that i i think is particularly awesome yeah, magic is amazing because it, it disrupts the flow, the mental flow that you tend to get in, right? We tend to ignore sunsets and sunrises because you're trying to get out the door, you're trying to get to work, uh, you're trying to get home to feed the kids or whatever it is. Like, You tend to ignore the wonder that's in, in and around our lives, and magic kind of makes you stop and forces yourself to kind of rethink uh, and break up the flow of how you are kind of in this groove and kind of refocuses and resharpens the senses. You're like, oh, yeah, wonder. I totally forgot about wonder. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. I think it's so easy to get in what people might call a rut or or not even not even feel like you're in a rut, but feel like, you know, your day is – everything that happens in your day is expected, right? Mm. You, you get in the car and yeah. you go to work and you expect to get to work, and then when you get to work, you expect to deal with – the same problems every day and sometimes there's a new problem or sometimes a new issue but it's not significantly different from anything else and then you go home and and you watch the same stuff and on television maybe or you read the same kinds of books and that's not to say that, that any of that's bad that's part of that's part of life but then if you see great magic in the middle of it it does it makes you like sort of it's it, it makes you think about the world in a little bit bigger way and 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 that is the feeling of wonder that i love and and you know was a big big part and i think houdini did that you know in his own way i mean i don't know houdini as a magician uh you know as, as we can talk about was you know there, there are many many feelings about him 
as a as a stage magician or card magician, and, and most people don't feel he was, you know, anything special in any of those realms. But he was able to create this same wonder thinking about escape, you know, this idea that there's nothing that could hold him, that he could he could escape from any handcuff or jail or box. And and, uh, and I think that that's uh, that is such a powerful idea and such a powerful thought. Mm-hmm. I found that always that the straight jacket escape was really inspiring because the idea of a straight jacket is something you put on somebody who's we've decided that they're crazy and they need to be contained. And you put this person into a straitjacket, and the fact that he was able to escape, it's this incredible, inspiring symbol of freedom. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's all. It's, it's, there's no question that was a huge part of his success was, you, you know, one is that, is that feeling of seeing the underdog get out of whatever the situation is. Yeah. But there's, there's, this other, there's this other feeling, which is, you know, if, some, if you see somebody escape from an impossible situation, you think about escaping yourself, right? You think a little bit about some sort of, some sort of trap you're in, whether it's something small, uh, you know, at, at work or at school or whatever, or something larger. And, and I know that, you know, there were so many stories written about that uh, during Houdini's time. Like, you know, he, was, he loved to talk about that where people would ask him about, you know, what, what does your – uh, you know, what does your act tell us about the world? What is your, what, you know, why, why should we care? And, and Houdini always would talk about, um, you know, look, if I can escape, you can escape, right? Like, like, like whatever, mm. whatever you escape from, I'm, you know, and he was very, he was very poignant talking about, you know, that he didn't do it with, with any kind of supernatural forces. It was all, you know, his, his sweat and, and cleverness and, 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 and all of these other, you know, hard work uh, and his, you know, physical talents and all these other things. And he would say, you know, that's what he would talk about was, you know, anybody, you know, if I can escape, anybody can escape. And, and, and that's, that is inspirational. You, you just mentioned, I want to go back to a point you brought up earlier, which is, and it kind of echoes throughout the book that Houdini was kind of quote unquote, a lousy magician. He wasn't a traditional magician, more of in the uh, kind of escape artist uh, kind of genre. And it's reminiscent some of the criticisms of, like, say, a magician like David Blaine. There's a classic Chris Rock line, like, are we so desperate that we fall for a trickless magician? <laughs> right? It's kind of like that frustrated, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do a magic trick or, like, a card right. trick or something. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's certainly different. Of course, David Blaine's inspiration is Houdini, right? So David Blaine wanted to do, uh, you know, he wanted to take Houdini's, Houdini's magic and Houdini's escapes into a whole different realm, a whole different place. And, you know, he really wanted to catch a bullet. He really wanted to be, you know, encased in ice and all of these other things that he did. But, but I think, I think that's right. I, I think that with Houdini, what's so interesting is he truly loved magic. Like, like this was, you know, there were, there were so many things about Houdini that were difficult you know he was he was egotistical and he was he was not always the best friend and he was you know he he cared deeply about about his own fame and and so on uh, but he loved magic and and performed it all of his life you know all he really wanted was a stage show you know we started he was the king of cards and it is interesting that you know history uh, you know and, and historians today but history in general has not been kind to him as a magician but as a, as a skate artist and as a showman and 
and and as someone who could promote himself, nobody was, you know, nobody was his equal. So it's very interesting because among laymen, among people that are not, you know, particularly magic fans or people that don't particularly know a lot about magic, they think Houdini was the greatest at everything. You know, they think Houdini was the greatest card magician, the greatest the stage magician, the greatest, uh, you know, everything, because he was Houdini and he was so much bigger than life and so much bigger than, than magic. So it was very interesting to me as a layman to, to walk into this world and talk to all of these people who, who you know, said, you know, they, they, they all, they all, you know, had their, you know, had their sayings, you know, about Houdini and how great he was, but not as a magician. As a magician, they were they were pretty unanimously critical of him as a as a card magician or as a stage magician. Yeah, this kind of circles back to our uh, previous topic when we were talking about like Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, Harry Houdini. They all kind of fall in the same category of like um, there's a there's a great deal of passion when the people talk about them, but the passion can be positive things and like there he's the greatest magician, he's the greatest basketball player, and it can also be negative. You have this great line on page 121 in your book, nobody has neutral feelings about Harry Houdini. His personality does not inspire mild emotions. No one has ever said, I'm ambivalent about that guy. Many people along this journey adore Houdini for his ambition, his ingenuity, his relentlessness, and for the way he became larger in life. But there are also people that can't stand him. So it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, was, it was surprising to me. You know, as I started this project, my idea, as I mentioned, was why does he matter? Why do we still care about him? Why do we still know about him? And, and you know, then I ran into lots and lots and lots of people who were deeply passionate about Houdini one way or another. I mean, some of them, like, like if they've made it a bit of a name of them for themselves in the magic community, for how much they don't like Houdini, you know, for – for, for being real critics and cynics of Houdini because they think he was a bully or they think he wasn't a great stage magician or, or so on and so on and so on. And, you know, it's one of my favorite people that I talked to is, uh, was Jim Steinmeier, who's, you know, one of the great magic inventors and magic writers in the world. And, and Jim Steinmeier said he was sick of Houdini because he, he hated the fact that Houdini basically blocked out all of the other great magicians of his time and, and, and after because he was such a big personality and such a big light. I found that stuff really interesting. I, I thought that in order to tell the real story of Harry Houdini and, and, and why he still matters and why we still care about him, uh, it was really important to talk about those people who didn't like him and why they didn't like him. But yet every one of those people would would – you know, they would they would be talking about how much they didn't like Houdini, and then they would point out, look, he was a great showman, right? Like they couldn't stop mm-hmm. without admitting he was this incredible showman. He was great at escape. He was great at promoting himself. He was, he was, you know, he was just one of those figures who was who really was larger than life. So we've touched upon wonder, and the other word that you just used a couple of times right now was passion, and you actually created a website called Passions in America. And the website for that yeah. states, our mission is to explore the passions that inspire us, unify us, embolden us, and give our lives balance, definition, and joy. So is this, is this one of the things that kind of attracted you to Harry Houdini? Because he did have, obviously, this passion to be the greatest and really were recognized and really famous. And he put the time and effort in to do those things. Is that one of the things that kind of brought you to Harry Houdini originally? 
Definitely, definitely. And and not only that, but also just how much magic inspires passion in people. It's just how many people that, that I talk to, because, you know, the idea of passion in America, the idea that, that we're writing about is that we, we believe passions, our passions uh, define us. They, 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 they tell our story as much as, as anything else, and that we don't give ourselves enough time to to enjoy the things that, that and, and not just enjoy, but to, to learn from and develop and, and be a part of those things that, that matter most to us, you know, uh, aside from our families and our work and, and, and so on. And so, yeah, I mean, there's no question Houdini, Houdini's passion for, for magic and for performing was, you know, literally limitless. I mean, he just didn't have any other interests. I mean, his interests, you know, he, the money he spent was on magic. It was on on getting magic books and 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 you know magic, uh, you know, the various buying magic tricks, and also in developing his own act and developing his own fame. That that was that was all that mattered to him. You know, his entire life was his love for his mother, uh, his love for bats, and magic, and and there was nothing else. And and you know, he he would talk about, you know, being a, a bit of a scholar and reading and this and that, but it was always built with magic. And, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, again, I think that when you, when you really capture, you, the, the best way to really capture someone, their personality, their, who they are, is to find out what it is. What is that passion? What is that thing that is so important to them that, you know, that they would spend every minute of every day on it if they could. And, and, and so there's no more true example of that uh, than Harry Houdini and Magic. Because you're a sports writer, and you tend to write a lot about baseball. Uh, I know you've written other books, too, about Joe Paterno, the um, coach, the football coach, and things like that. Right, but the Penn State. Penn State, yeah. But for the most part, though, one of the things that connects baseball, especially fiction, is the idea of magic realism. We saw that with like a movie like Field of Dreams, for example. Sure. Is that where the I guess the Venn diagram of your passions are between like baseball and magic? Is that where they kind of come together? Because there's already kind of that magic realism built into baseball. Well, there's that, that's very interesting. I think that it's the thing that draws me to both for sure. I mean, for me, magic comes pretty directly and specifically from my father, who is, uh, you know, was a I wouldn't even call him an amateur magician, but but he he had developed you know, a, a, quite a few magic tricks that he would show me when I was young and, 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 you know, and I was, I was really blown away by it and taken by it. And, and, uh, and, and there's no, you know, that, that's, I know that's where that whole concept came from, but you're right. It's not just, it's not just the, the magic realism of, of something like field of dreams, which is, you know, one of my, one of my favorites and, 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 you know, I can point to other examples of that as well. It's, it's not just, that is that that both of them have like a romance about them that that I'm very very drawn to. I mean, I I love baseball history. I mean, you know, right now I'm in the middle of a project where I'm writing about the hundred greatest baseball players of all time, and, and it's a it's it's a very meaningful project to me because I love the I love the history of it and I love the romance of it. It's 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 there's a you know these these guys are. They're not all lovable, you know. There, there are some rogues in there, and some, mm -hmm. and some, you know, difficult people there. But there's a beautiful romance about baseball, and I think there's a beautiful romance about magic too. And and you know, it's it, it's wonderful. I mean, I write this book about Harry Houdini, but you get to see 
all of these stories about, you know, different magicians of the time and, 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 and what, you know, what they were doing and how they were trying to advance the art. And, and, and I, I love that. I, I love being able to sort of dive into this, into this, uh, you know, other world, which I think, you know, both baseball and magic have. Well, to keep going on that thread, a large chunk of your book, uh, it deals with you kind of either busting some of the Harry Houdini myths or exploring them or like asking other magicians, like, is this true? Is this a fact? Is this like, did Harry Houdini make this up? Is this a deception? Like you spend quite a bit of time. Did you enjoy that p- aspect of it? Just trying to get to the bottom and to the truth and trying to get a better understanding of who Harry Houdini was? I did enjoy some of that, but it was very important to me to not to, to not steal away so much of what makes Harry Houdini wonderful, you know, in our minds. I mean, uh, I wanted to write about the myths every bit as much as I wanted to write about the truth, because I think the myths, uh, you know, Harry Houdini getting stuck under the ice, and uh, you know, in an escape, or or you know, how Harry Houdini really met Bess. I mean, these are not true stories, but they're a huge part of his story and his life and, and why we still care about him are these, are these legends about him. And, and so, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging, honestly. I mean, it is, Harry Houdini lived the sort of life that makes it very, very difficult to, to tell where, you know, where real life begins and, and where the magic ends. I mean, he, he wasn't just, you know, deceptive in, in the way he did his escapes or, or, or his magic, he was very deceptive in his own life to the point where he, you know, he, he invented a whole new character that was Harry Houdini that was just different from Eric Weiss, which is the person he was, you know, the name that he was born with. So, so it was, there was some difficult efforts in that, but, but it was so fun for me to go ahead and hear all of these great myths and read about all these great myths and then try to piece them together and what's real and what's not real and 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 then try to create and weave this story together that that gives you a big picture of who he was is that an american trait i guess for lack of a better term like when you look at something like that just these kind of larger than life characters and these crazy stories like we see that with the evil knievel and babe ruth yeah like there's quite a number of historical like Amer- quote-unquote american superheroes that have all these kind of weird deceptions and half truths and lies and myths. Is that an American trait, or how? Why is it America so good at creating these super American superheroes? That's a good question. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I thought of it this way. I think Houdini saw himself as sort of the ultimate American. Like being American was extraordinarily important to him, even though he wasn't born in America. I mean, he he came. To America when he was four. He was born in Budapest, and he, and he came here. But it was very important for people for him to tell people that he was born in Appleton, Wisconsin, right there mm-hmm. in the Midwest, like Superman. He was, he was, you know, he mm-hmm. like had this Midwestern background that he that he he really bragged about. And then when he went, you know, around the world when he was performing in Paris or London or or, or Berlin or wherever it was. That's his. That was his role. He was the American, the American that could get out of anything. Like that was, that was the scrappy, you know, American story that he loved. So, so I do think there must be something about this larger than life, you know, thing where you just sort of grow out of, out of, uh, you know, whatever sort of common background you might have. I mean, his background. You know, he grew up extraordinarily poor and ran away from home when he was twelve. I mean, it was a very a very rough childhood for him. 
and then for him to grow out of that and become Harry Houdini, the most famous person in the world, I, I do think there's a very strong American uh, you know, trait with that. So picking up on a couple of the words you've just used, uh, the American trait, but also um, classic Americana and uh, history of romance, a number of the interviews that you talk to with these magicians take place in the Magic Castle in L.A. down in Hollywood. So for yep. anybody who has never been to the Magic Castle, and I know it's difficult to get in because you need to know a magician, but for anybody who's never been to the Magic Castle, I've been twice, so I know exactly what it's like. It's unbelievable atmosphere. Right. Can you just describe what it's like to go to the Magic Castle? It's it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. And, you know, th there are ways to get in. I mean, you, you're right. You have to know a magician or somebody who knows somebody. But, but, you know, if you're willing to work hard enough, you can find ways to get in. And it's it's just this house, as you all know, that's that's there in the middle of Hollywood, and it's it's uh, um, you know it's 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 got all of these different. You walk in, and the first time you walk in, they 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 ask you to go to the wall, and there's there's an <laughs> owl there, and you say to the owl, yeah. "Open sesame," and the and the door, you know, the the wall opens up, and 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 you walk in, and it's just room after room of magic i mean it's just this old sort of victorian looking house everybody has to dress up it's 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 you know the one place you know, i wouldn't say it's the only place but it's one of the only places where they treat magic very very seriously this is not for kids mm -hmm. uh kids are only allowed on the weekends for brunch it's for adults and the adults all dress up and the men all have to wear a suit and tie jacket and tie and the women are dressed from you know in, in all sorts of time periods you'll see people wearing you know flapper dresses and, and, and everything else. I mean, it's very, very, it feels very luxurious. You know, it feels like you're in the middle of a, of an F Scott Fitzgerald yes. book or something. <laughs> and, and then at each, you know, there's, there are stages, there are various different rooms where people perform, you know, there's a close up stage and a full length, uh, you know, sort of stage. But then the thing that I love even most more than that, because there are like three or four shows going on at once is that everywhere you turn, somebody's doing magic. I mean, it's not, you don't have to go to the shows to see magic. There are people at the bar, you know, doing card tricks, and then there is somebody at a table doing rope trick, and, and you know, then you walk up to somebody and they'll show you a coin trick. I mean, there's like, it's magic everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's amateurs and professionals all mixed together in this, in this room, and it's, it's such a fun time and, and so great. And I... I you know, I, I wish, you know, I wish more people could do it because it is, you know, I, I've heard people say like, yeah, magic, it's, you know, it's for kids, it's birthday parties. And, and you only have to go to the Magic Castle once, I think, to, to yes. experience that sort of love for magic and, and, and it'll change your life. Yeah, you lose hours in that place. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, magic memorabilia all around the place, especially in the lower decks. Uh, and like cases and stuff like that. And there was a couple of ventriloquist dummies. Don't you have a f fear of ventriloquist dummies? Because they're kind of creepy, the old school ones. Yeah, yeah. There's look. That, that's that's another thing that's really fun about magic. There's this crossover to like this creepy, you know, little side thing. Whether it's whether it's dummies, whether it's you know it's uh, um, you know these these posters. You know the old posters are mm -hmm. are are you know that used to be you couldn't do a magic poster without some devils on the poster right i mean it's like that that's like a part of that was a part of the magic world so um yeah i mean it's it's again it's i for me it's like entering another world and i and i love that so much 
uh, why don't I wrap up? But um, you got to visit David Copperfield's warehouse. I guess that's what he calls it, right? It's this magic museum. Yeah. How did right. How did you hook up with David Copperfield? And can you describe how David Copperfield's magic museum, the warehouse, how that's different than the Magic Castle? Well, it's 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 completely different because it, it feels it, it's it you know first of all it's so much more extravagant than the Magic Castle. I mean, it's just this incredible place. And you know, for me, it was a, it was very very lucky. You know, very early on when writing the book, and and you know, I should say when I when I started the book, I knew nobody in magic. I knew nothing about magic. It was, you know, it was really an idea, and I'd written other books, and you know, of course, been a reporter for a long time, but but there's not a lot of crossover between sports and magic, so mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to go about any of it. And, and one of the first people I reached out to, of course, was David Copperfield, who I think is you know, one of the most important people in the book. There's a whole section on David Copperfield in the book. And he was kind enough to invite me out to Las Vegas to, to, to meet with him and to, to take a tour of his of his museum and, and to see a show and spend some time with him. And, and so you walk in and, and, and it's like this, you, you walk into the middle of what looks like an old men's store, mm-hmm. you know, like a men's clothing store. And this door is is basically a you know a, a, a frame for frame duplicate of the clothing store that his father owned in New Jersey, and you know which is very very touching. And then at the time that I went, you you went to the back and you pulled a tie. There was a tie like on a on a mannequin. You pull the tie and then the whole back wall opens up, mm-hmm. sort of like the Magic Castle. Open Sesame. Open Sesame. And then you go from room to room, and every room is like the most extraordinary thing you've ever seen. It's not all magic. You know, you, you, the first room you go to is the world's largest collection of ventriloquist dummies because David Copperfield started his career as a ventriloquist. <laughs> and then you go into a room with, with one of the largest collections of Broadway posters and stage items and, and all of these other things because David Copperfield loves Broadway. And then the next room is movies. And then you go into this room – that is magic, and the, it, it goes on forever. The, the world's most extraordinary magic library is in the back. And then you see all of these, you know, he just has the, the best collections of everybody, including Houdini. And, of course, then you get to the Houdini section, which is sort of the highlight of the whole thing. And, and there's the water torture cell, and there's the milk can, and there's, you know, Houdini's voice, the only – the only um, wax recordings, Harry Houdini's voice. There, there they are, and and there are all of his handcuffs and and keys and the mirror cuffs, who I, you know, which I spent a lot of time on in the book. So, so you know, for me, it was it was absolutely incredible on multiple levels. But for for writing a book about Houdini, it was you know like walking back in time because because there's everything, and and it just reflects how much you know David Copperfield, you know, first of all, how successful he is, but how how much he he loves the history of magic. As a sports writer, you, you, like we opened this conversation with you uh, hanging out, and Muhammad Ali is doing magic with you. And Muhammad Ali, of course, is a great sports figure. And you've interviewed and talked, and you know a number of sports figures. Do you get intimidated and nervous meeting a magician like David Copperfield because he's so big as a magician compared to a sports person, a sports athlete? It's interesting. You know, I was nervous about going out there for sure. Just because I know so, you know, especially at the time, I knew so little about magic. And, you know, I was trying to catch up so I would, you know, really feel prepared to talk to him. But, I, you know, I have to say he was very, very good about making me feel comfortable and, 
And, uh, you know, it was uh, – I wasn't nervous talking to him. I, I guess at some point I've stopped being super nervous meeting people, especially if it's – some. you know, the, the, the nervousness for me would be if, if I – if David, if David Copperfield didn't know I was coming and mm-hmm. I just showed up like on his door and like tried to, had to try to convince him, I think I might be nervous about that. But, mm-hmm. but since he knew I was coming and, and everything was set up in advance, I, I really didn't feel nervous. I felt really honored and lucky that he, that he was willing to do that for me. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was, it was a great, uh, it was a great experience and one that I'll never forget. You've been writing about baseball for years now. That's one of your primary sports that you kind of write about. You just even alluded to the fact that you're writing about a hundred of the greatest baseball players. Do you feel now, having written this book, you have a better handle on what your feelings are for Magic and for Harry Houdini? Like you're able to better express them? Because it can be sometimes difficult to, to boil. Like if I ask why do you love baseball, that could be a very complex and deep <laughs> topic. It's not very something easy to kind of express. But now do you feel having written this book you are now able to better express the love uh, and the joy that you have with Harry Houdini? I think, I think so. It's a really good question. I, you know, it's not one that I thought a lot about, but I will say that I, I think that writing about Houdini, writing about myth and, and, and what's real, writing about wonder and, and what sparks it definitely has had a, 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 an impact on my writing. I mean, it definitely has had an impact on the way I think about things. And, you know, like I say, I, you know, I think baseball compares very favorably to magic in the same way. I think that there are all these myths and wonders and legends that, that both the, the both magic and baseball have. And I, you know, I think it's true for, for many things in life, you know, many sports and, but, but many other things that I write about, I write a lot about family. I write a lot about my kids. And, you know, I think, the, the book has had a huge impact on me for sure. Cause I've, I've never done anything quite like it. You know, I've never written a book before that I walked in with, you know, so little sort of previous knowledge, so few connections, so few sources. I mean, I, I just kind of walked into it blindly, uh, was very, very fortunate that, that, uh, avid reader, the, the publishing house, uh, you know, let me do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so it was a, it was an incredibly unique experience, and and there's no doubt in my mind that it had a huge impact on 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 whatever I do, and it's a huge impact certainly on the writing now, but a huge impact on on whatever comes next, and and I think that's uh, you know that's all you can ask from a project like this. Does it disappoint you? I don't know if that's the right word, but does it disappoint you that? When you talk about like David Copperfield, for example, we know all these facts about David Copperfield. There isn't any kind of myth. And it's the same thing when we talk about like when we were talking about Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali. A lot of the records are well documented and we can go back and review them, uh, fights and things like that. But with Harry Houdini, there's all these myths and half-truths and deceptions. And you probably see that too with a number of baseball players, especially for the older generations. Do you, does it bother you that everything now is kind of straightforward and we don't have this, this kind of like myth-busting you know what? It's it, it, you. You've just brought up a point that was absolutely huge in my thinking to even write this book because because you're right. I mean, you you know, I'm writing as I mentioned all these you know about these great baseball players. Well, a lot of these great baseball players I'm writing about played in the old Negro leagues. You know, before Jackie Robinson had crossed the color line, before baseball had African American players, and we don't know very much about these players that played in the Negro leagues. We we don't know. Um, 
you know, how, uh, you know, we don't know their stats very much. We don't know their backgrounds all that much. We, with many of them, we don't even know when they were born exactly. Uh, they are, they're as much myth as they are reality. And, and, you know, that's, it, of course, I wish we knew more about them. Of course, I wish we knew as much about them as we know about, you know, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or, or, or anybody else. But there is a mystery to them that is not, doesn't exist anymore. And, and it was something I thought a lot about. When, when I first started thinking about this book, the, the person who came to mind is someone you mentioned earlier, and that's Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth was half myth, half man, right? He was <laughs> everything that Houdini was, you know, in, in that way. And that made him very, very interesting, like really interesting. I mean, he was, he, he had many, many problems, but he was extraordinarily interesting and, and, and sparked so much wonder in people. And you do wonder now, you know, the best played baseball player in the world is Mike Trout. And Mike Trout does not spark that many, you know, mysteries. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just a great player and a, and a really nice person and someone that you can admire, but he's not, you know, he's not a legend the way that Ruth was. And it's, there's, it's nothing to do with him. It's, it's just to do with the time that we're in. And so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, every, every bit of progress, you know, you, you also lose a little something. And so by being more accurate, by having more information, by being, you know, by, by being able to engage with, with, with these people, you know, on social media on a day to day to day basis, yeah, there's a lot good that comes with it, but I think we do lose some of the mystery and wonder. Yeah, Steph Curry is the same way as Trout, right? Like, it's a very straightforward person. Like, you kind of like, ah, he seems like a cool guy. That's about it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and, and, you know, he does things that, that, that only, you know, that, that maybe nobody else has done, right? I mean, he's done things that, that made Ruth great or made Willie Mays great or made some of these other great baseball players great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see it all the time, and then we can always see it on replay, and, and it's, it's, there's, there's nothing left for the imagination. Maybe that's the way to say it. And, and I think that's, that has nothing to do with him. I just think that has something to do with the time that we live in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the time that we live in, where can people find you online to see either uh, like talk to you about baseball or talk to you about magic or to see some of the baseball players that you're talking about? I am, I am everywhere that uh, you might want to find me. So I'm at Jay Posnansky on Twitter. Just J P O S N A N S K I. I'm at JoePosnanski.com is my website. I'm a senior writer at the Athletic. Uh, for people to find me there, uh, I'm pretty much around. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it, Joe. I think we covered everything, didn't we? I think so. I think so. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the book. I really dug it. I really appreciate it. Um, just because it helps to put the the Herodini thing into context, if that makes sense. Because, like you said, every great two kid basically knows who he is and you're like how does this come into my life who's this guy and you need to just sometimes sit down and kind of like all right let's sort this out let's figure out who this Harry Houdini guy yeah. is that's awesome thank you yeah I mean it's exactly what I was trying to do mm-hmm. awesome thanks Joe have a good night excellent thank you you bye. too bye-bye Welcome to Notes and Noteworthy. As I said in my conversation with Joe Posnanski, you can pick up his book, 
the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini in all the usual book places, as well as the AGO, which is the Art Gallery of Ontario here in tr downtown Toronto, uh, in their gift shop. Also, for more on the AGO's illusion, the art of magic, which I alluded to in the conversation, where you could see Houdini's straight jacket, handcuffs, and posters, lithographs, all kinds of stuff. It's really cool. You can check out my previous interview with David Ben, which is where we get into all of that good stuff. As for Joe's book, The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini, it's a wildly fascinating read because Houdini's deceptions were not limited to the stage. That dude was on 24-7. So his life is filled with lies and half-truths and murky details that make a traditional biography difficult. Which, incidentally, is why Joe, as a sports writer, is one of the best writers to tackle a Harry Houdini book. Lies and half-truths and murky details are how we talk and how we write about sports. In our conversation, we discussed Muhammad Ali and Jordan. Kobe has just passed away. These are not easy individuals to just sum up. Their accomplishments are so extraordinary that they defy simple, straightforward narratives. So because the truth is so elusive, Joe focuses on wonder, which again is what we typically derive from sports. The same way we see a magician pull off an amazing trick. We ask, how did he do that? Jordan will do something incredible and will be stunned and ask, how is that possible? Our modern life, for all of its benefits, is relentlessly hectic. Essayists have begun writing about moral exhaustion. And magic, not for everyone, but for many, is a welcome relief from that pressure. Throughout the course of this unconventional biography, as Joe talks to many established magicians, including David Copperfield, it's almost like Harry Houdini becomes the icebreaker, a way to start a conversation about inspiration and being an artist and, and creativity and hope and ultimately enduring fame. Joe is not your typical sports writer. He's not yelling at the TV screen. He offers a gentle, distinct flow of thought, like the way a baseball game is in no hurry. <laughs> Yet at the same time, Joe is on the case, dogged like a private investigator, following up clues that only lead to more clues. This book is about him as much as it is about Harry Dini. I highly recommend this book, as you can tell especially because it's a good Harry Houdini primer. If you know the name, kind of, sort of, meet the man. If you're wondering where the wonder in your life has gone, <laughs> if she's left taking her with her the, the good TV and the crappy couch and left your goodbye note all stuck to the fridge with a magnet, magic is one way to get wonder back into your life. What do you think about wonder? What do you think about Harry Houdini? You can let me know at my pal Sammy for IG, Facebook, and Twitter. All three are my pal Sammy. Thank you for listening to me in the Netflix world. Magic, yo.